0: Today, I am joined by author, poet, and storyteller, Branch Isolay. Branch is going to be talking about various things. He is the author of 22 books. He is going to tell you why his name is Branch. And he's also going to be talking about choice and consequence, accepting or avoiding personal responsibility. And among other things. So, Branch, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: My pleasure, Curtis. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this.
0: Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I grew up in the 50s and 60s in a military family. So, I traveled quite a bit in my formative years. After high school, I went to college and got a degree in teaching. I was a high school teacher for a brief time and then middle school assistant principal for a very brief time and had to get out of that so I could make a living. Went into corporate sales and marketing, did that for about 15 years. And then I discovered that, you know, the corporate world wasn't really for me. I was very successful, but it was very costly to me in my personal life. So I changed gears and I became an entrepreneur. I was the founder or partner of five different small business Enterprises. And it been life, I, my curveball, and I decided that I wanted to go back to school. I had been thinking about uh, my spiritual walk as opposed to my worldly walk. And so at 52, I went back to college and got a master's degree in theology. And in conjunction with that study time, I wrote my first book. And uh, after that, the books just kept coming out. And here we are 25 years later.
0: Well, tell us about your name. I mean, your, your name is Branch. So tell us why you, is that your real name? Or we talked about this in the green room, but let the listeners know about the name Branch.
1: Sure. No, I had a different name, you know, when I was born and all the way uh, through adulthood. And when I decided I needed to change my life, and change my direction and get on more of a spiritual path and off of the world's path, uh, I decided I needed to change my name as well. So that's how it came about. And it was a spiritual thing for me and and anyone who's familiar with Scripture and Bible uh, for Christians. in, In the Bible, when you change your name at the behest of God and you accept that new name, then you're committed to, you know, being a servant of his. So that's how the name came about when I got on my spiritual path. And uh, I knew I wanted my last name to be I-S-O-L-E, which we pronounce Isole. It stands for I Serve Only Lord Emmanuel. And one day I was doing a Bible study with a young couple, and I opened up the, the Bible and looked down and I was at Zechariah 3.8, and it says, I will raise up Joshua, my branch. And for two years, I had thought, well, I like the name Joshua as the first name, but didn't do anything about changing it. So at that moment, you know, I was inspired. The Lord said, that's your new name and the rest is history.
0: I love it. I, I know you've been very successful in, in your life. So tell us about the blockchain elements of success.
1: Sure. You know, really. Life is about relationships, right? Whether it's at home or at work or with, you know, friends and acquaintances or extended family. And a lot of times, you know, there's, there's four elements of a, of a relationship cornerstone. So let me do those real quick so we can form something where the listeners will understand. The four cornerstones of relationships, any relationship are love, approval, agenda, and spiritual grounding and then when you have those four you've got a complete foundation and the fifth one the most important one uh, is the element of trust in all of those relationships that's what forms the hub that holds those four together when we get into a career situation or a work situation there's four elements of success and these are also elements of success in our personal lives but they're especially important in the career situations Those elements of success are stability, motion, direction, and applied power. And anytime you're in a work environment or a team environment at work, it's important to have those four in mind. Think about if you went to buy a a sailboat and you went down to the marina and there were four identical boats there for you to choose from. You got on the first one and it didn't have a keel. So when you pushed away from the pier, It just floated. There was no ballast, so it didn't have any balance. And all you could do was float to wherever the tide took you. The second boat had a keel, so it had the stability, and it also had sails. So you you have motion at that point. You can get out on the water. The wind picks up in the sails, and you've got that forward motion. The third sailboat has the stability because it has a keel. It also has sails, so it's got the motion you need. But this one has a a rudder, so you have the ability to steer where you're going, and that gives you the direction. The fourth boat, which is obviously the one we want to buy, because not only does it have stability in motion from the rudder and the keel and the sails, it also has a motor. It's got an (laughs) outboard motor. So even if we don't have wind for our power, we've got the applied power we need, and we can go anywhere we want. As far as we want, as fast as we want, because we've got all four elements. And if you keep these elements in mind in your job or your work situation or your career, then every project or every task that you have gives you those blockchain elements for you to successfully complete that task, complete that project, and keep moving forward. Well, what
0: motivators do you feel are behind? every decision that person makes in life?
1: Well, here again, if, if you look in the commercial world, if you watch any kind of commercial on television, especially ones that are trying to sell you a product, there's always five motivators to every decision or choice that we have. And when we make a choice or decision, one or more of those four, five motivations are what move us from thought to action. So those five motivators are need, want, status, love. And the fifth one, which is the most powerful of all, is fear of loss. So the next time you're watching some commercial on television, look and see if one or more of those five are not the foundation of what that company is trying to move you to do, move you to buy, or move you to decide. And those five motivators are always with us. In every choice, every decision we make, one of those is going to be key. There can't be more involved. There's always at least one of those that's the prime motivator.
0: Give people some tips because you've been successful in your life and you've also had a lot of adversity as well. So, So give some people some tips on dealing with or even maybe when possible avoiding adversity.
1: Well, adversity is an interesting element of life, right? Because there's all through history, there's been stories of people who have faced adversities of one kind or another, and have you know been knocked down and are put put in places that they don't want to be, and yet out of that adversity came the strength and the power to get back up and and go forward. Uh, you know, Edison was famously quoted a saying when he finally figured out the incandescent light bulb, he said, well, now I know 999 ways not to make a light bulb, right? So adversity is part of life. We all face adversity from childhood on. And it's actually the attitude that you take into the adversity and come out of the adversity with, whether or not it's something that holds you back or whether it gives you the impetus and the strength you know, to overcome it. The important part of overcoming adversity is actually twofold. The first thing is to avoid it altogether. So how do we avoid adversity in our lives? Well, the easiest way to avoid a hole is not to jump in and start digging. It's to step around that hole. So when we are faced with some adversity, the easiest way to recognize how to step around that hole is to think about a similar situation that you faced and whatever the outcome or the fallout from that choice or that decision that you made was. So if you, let's say I go to a party and, and I get over intoxicated and it's time to go home. I have three different choices. I can drive myself home. I can catch a ride with someone or I can find a designated driver. And, Every one of those choices, if I've been at a similar situation where I've had to make a choice, even if I have driven home before, if I continue to make that my choice, the odds are sooner or later, you know, something negative outcome is going to happen. I'm going to stopped, you know, get a DUI, which is going to be costly, could cause an accident, which could harm myself or others. So I want to avoid that one. So I choose one of the other two. And, and this is the point. When you have experienced something that's given you a negative outcome in the past and you remember that out, then you have a new choice to make. And rather than go to that place of negativity or that possible costly outcome, you simply choose to avoid that adversity altogether. You step around that hole. That's the first and the easiest way to you know, avoid that adversity. The second way to avoid it is to get spiritually grounded, and this is important for people who are looking for strength for the future, because when you're spiritually grounded when for Christians, when you get a, a spiritually grounding by inviting Christ into your life, he sends his spirit to be with you. And from that moment on, with every choice or decision that you have to make, he allows his spirit to guide to instruct, to counsel you as to what the best option or best choice would be. So avoiding the adversity is is the easiest task. Asking for help is the second easiest task. And if you keep those two things in mind, no matter what the adversity is, you will come out the other side more willing to accept the growth that adversity might have presented to you.
0: In your bio, you talk about twelve life life lessons that everybody experiences. Explain those, and you know, explain what they are and what they mean.
1: Okay, sure. Uh, this is something you know we all experience twelve different lessons over and over in our lives because this is where our growth comes from when we accomplish. You know, the the lesson that has been thrown at us by in a person. Or an event or a circumstance. So let me go through those real quickly. The first one, the base lesson is insecurity. We all are insecure with something about ourselves or our life. Just can't get around that. You know, we all think that we um, should be better at something, should be prettier, healthier, thinner, whatever it may be. We all carry with us insecurities both from childhood and from our formative years. And as long as we allow that insecurity to grasp upon us, it becomes very difficult for us to take head on and take the challenge of the other lessons of life. So the, the first six have to do with, you know, our practical everyday living. And those are responsibility, taking responsibility for our actions, reliability, dependability, accountability and credibility, and if you think about those, those, again, we deal with every day, those are real practical or work-life kinds of lessons, and we run into people, we run into events, we run into challenges that test our responsibility, our reliability, our dependability, accountability, and credibility. Now, the next one, the seventh one, is the real pivotal one, and it's called risk and when we get to that level when we've become responsible we're reliable we're dependable we're accountable and we're credible in who we are what we do what we say we'll do then we have to risk going outside of those comfort zones of our accomplishments you know in our everyday life so the last ones the last level the next five are trust commitment forgiveness truth and love and if you notice those five are more esoteric or more abstract they don't deal with the challenges of everyday life they deal with the moral and the ethics of life Uh, so it's not necessarily a hierarchy and as i said you know they can be happening at multiple times in our life over and over but when we successfully sort of learn that lesson and learn how to cope with that situation, then we can come out the other side of that situation confident that, you know, I took responsible, I was reliable, I was dependable. So when I've got those under my belt, then I can take the real challenging ones, which are how do I build trust in my relationships? You know, how do I be committed to my relationships? How do I learn how to forgive in my relationships? And then how do I find truth and live the truth? And when I do those things, I discover what true unconditional love is that we see from God to us as people. And then we have that opportunity to express that same kind of love in our lives to the people who are important in our lives, our family, our friends, our coworkers. (laughs)
0: So let's talk about, speaking of relationships, let's talk about the steps to relationship repair for those who might have broken relationships or needing to repair a certain relationship.
1: Yeah, relationships, we're all in relationships in life, hit rough spots, you know, that have tough times, have harm done in them. And so there's two factors here. There's seven steps of relationship repair which we can do. But let me give a caveat to begin with. The reason there's professional help available to us and therapy available is so that we can have somebody outside of our relationship advise us, lead us, and direct us how to grow through the problem area. So don't ever, you know, discount the opportunity to have professional help. What I'm talking about is sort of a midpoint. You know, when people cause harm, someone they care about in a relationship, the first thing we do is focus on the manifested action that caused the harm, right? And then the second thing the transgressor wants to do is be forgiven. So if I do something to my spouse that's harmful and I say, okay, please forgive me. I won't do it again. Let's move on. And I expect You know, for her just to say, okay, and we do it, the chances are, depending on the severity of the harm that I've caused or the repetition of that harm, if it's a behavior, you know, that I I keep having and it keeps causing harm, the likelihood of, please forgive me, let's move on, isn't going to solve the problem. So, two things we have to keep in mind. The first is there's three actual levels of pain that we've caused when we cause harm. In a relationship, those levels are the action, the manifested action that causes the pain, the sense of betrayal because of the action, and the deepest one is the breach of trust. And if you can't reestablish the trust in the relationship, it's going to be very hard for that relationship to survive. So the seven steps that we can go through, you know, behind the please forgive me, let's move on. And before the professional help comes in are seven steps that we can actually do as a couple or as a team or whatever has been harmed, who's been harmed. We can do seven steps that will take us through the process so that we can first and at least establish a process to try. Those seven steps are recognition that harm has been done, taking responsibility for the harm that has been done. Having regret, having remorse, and having redress or a solution to the problem. The, the sixth one is repetition. We can never repeat that particular action again in the future. And the last step, and the most important step, is repentance. You know, Curtis. A lot of people when they hear repentance, they think of a church situation or a religious connotation. Repentance actually means Changed future behavior. So if I get to the repentance stage and I truly repent, what I'm telling myself and telling my partner or the person who was harmed is that in the future, this won't be repeated because my future behavior will be completely different. So those seven steps help us get on that path of relationship repair and relationship reconciliation at least gives us that intermediate step where we can address the problem or the issue and try and get some communication started as to what happened, why it happened, and what we're going to do about it before we go to professional health.
0: Well, let's talk about the, the pillars for spiritual growth.
1: Okay. As we found in the relationship foundational cornerstones, when we activate our spiritual grounding, that is, when we become a spiritually grounded person on our relationship to form up that foundation for our relationship to be healthy, we have to know what the pillars of that spirituality are. So the first one is truth. And I'm going to give some scriptures for those people who want to check on these. The first one is truth, and that's found in John 3, verse 33. The second one is love, and that's found in 1 John 4, verse 8. The third one is understanding that God is spirit, and he is fundamentally the creator of the world, and as spirit, we are therefore spirit also, and that's found in John 4, verse 24. The fourth one, which is sort of the most important one for us as people, is faith. And there's two scriptures for that, Hebrews 11, verse 1, and Romans 12, verse 3. I want to come back to faith in a moment. The fifth one is hope, and that's found in Romans 5, verse 5. Now, all these five pillars of spiritual strength, when we invite Christ into our lives, and he sends his spirit, the spirit of truth, to be with us, we start to understand and identify these five pillars. These are the five pillars that grow our spiritual strength with his spiritual strength, his spirit within us. The one that's always under attack for us as people is faith. You know, once you become spiritually grounded and you recognize truth in your world, and you recognize truth in your own life, then what you're operating on at that point is faith. And faith being the ground seedling of our spiritual strength is the one that's always under attack by the world. You know, the world's ways are to throw us off the spiritual path to make us stumble, to make us fall. And all of those designs and temptations and tests and challenges that the world throws at us are attacks on our faith. If the world can make us doubt our faith in our spiritual grounding, in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if we can lose faith, then the prince of this world Regains that soul, what we once were when we walk the world's ways and walk the world's path. So faith is the one that we have to practice every day. And we do that by meditation, by prayer, by study, you know, by reading your scriptures that reinforces that faith and gives us that spiritual strength to go out and face the test and the temptations the world's going to throw at us.
0: Well, tell us about your books and where we can get them and what listeners can expect when they check them out.
1: Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I've written 22 books. I've got some of articles, lots of short stories. Everything is available through my website, which is just my name. I also have a YouTube channel with uh, lots of short stories and poetry that people can read for free. I invite anyone to go to the website, go to the YouTube channel, Check it out. If you'd like to subscribe, you'll get every posting that we have. So if, if you don't know my name, just Google Branch, like a tree, I-S-O-L-E.
0: Do you have any kind of upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about?
1: Well, my projects and my, my focus right now is end time Bible prophecy. And most of my most recent writings, I've done a, a number of series on the end times and what they mean, what they are. You know, are they truth? Are they myth? Are they conspiracy? What exactly are the end times and why Bible prophecy is so important for those of us living today to recognize the signs that are foretold? So that's what my focus has been the last five or six years is on going deeper into Bible prophecy for those people who you know want to know about the end times. Just about everybody knows you know the Antichrist, the rapture, the second coming, but very few people actually know what they are, what they mean and and what they portend for us living today. So that's where my focus has been. So if you've got any listeners out there who are interested in in the end times or Bible prophecy, I invite them, go to the website. I've got, uh, like I say, 10 different series on that subject matter, or you can just drop me a mail and I'm happy to answer questions.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, and that's branchisalee.com. So close us out with some final thoughts. Maybe something that I forgot to touch on that you would like to talk about or just any final thoughts that you have for the listeners.
1: Thank you, Curtis. I do have two. Uh, One, as Polonius said to Laertes in Shakespeare's Hamlet, to thine own self be true. And my second one is, if you're a fan or a follower or listen to Curtis a lot, hear his podcast, take 30 seconds, reach out, give him a review, give him a rating, because that helps him grow. That helps his podcast reach more people and allows him to to bring you the kind of topics that you're interested in and great guests.
0: Well, I definitely appreciate that branch and, and listeners. If you have a topic that you're interested in, you can email me at cjackson102 at cox.net. And I will try to get a guest on that's covering the topic that you want to hear. Not only what I like for you to follow rate review. But if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to tell a friend and check out Branch's work. He's really doing a lot to help teach, motivate and inspire people. Branch, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Curtis, my project, brother. Thank you so much.
0: For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.